All right, clap on lights. Here we go. All right. Well, good morning, Church on the Rock. I forgot my trash can. Hold on a second. I got to go get it here. Today, we are uh, we're talking about taking out the happiness trash. So for a sermon illustration up here, I brought you my office garbage can. It smells pretty good, so uh, I don't bring a lot of food in the office. So, um, so we're talking about ha- taking out the happiness trash. Uh, I'm Justin Searles. I'm the executive pastor. I'm not here every week, but I will be here for the next two weeks uh, bringing the word. And uh, yay, that's my mom clapping. No, <laughs> just kidding. My mom is here. They're right there. Anyway, uh, and so we're looking through the book of Philipp- Philippians, uh, trying to extract every happiness principle that we can. And today, if you have your cell phone or your Bible, um, if you have your cell phone, open to the NLT version. That's my suggestion today. I want to take a little bit to talk a little bit about versions of the Bible because I'm, Brian's definitely like 80% preacher, 20% teacher. I'm kind of like 80% teacher, 20% preacher, okay? And some of you may argue that or whatever, argue all you want, it doesn't even matter. But it just describes a little bit. I like to talk a little bit about stuff like versions of the Bible and things like that. Um, anytime I preach, I'm generally, I'm about 95% of the time I quote a scripture, it's going to be out of the NLT, the New Living Translation. Why would I do that? Well, I found that the NLT is the best version I can find to make truths relative, re- relative, re- relevant in our culture, in today's culture. It's a thought-for-thought translation. You don't need a college degree or advanced vocabulary to read or understand the NLT. It's great to quote to people or show to people who have never read the Bible. It's a great version for that. Uh, It's great to use when teaching Scripture to children. It's also great to use when memorizing something that you're going to quote to people later. You don't have to work hard about putting it in words that are very understandable. And so I'm a, I'm a big NLT fan from children to church well, the whole way through. And so uh, I'm so much of a fan, I went and bought Josh 13 copies of really nice NLT Bibles, right? And so uh, I really want to see people quoting and, and reading that one. However, when, you, when it's time to study, when you want to get into the word for word of things, I highly recommend the ESV. If you're going to Bible college, you should probably buy an ESV. If you're in Rock School of the Bible, I recommend the ESV, right? Because you're going to be studying the structure and the word and the phrasing and the order. And that ESV does a great job of staying in that order. It's the, probably one of the best translations out there uh, for that. And so NLT, ESV, if anybody can find an NLT, ESV, parallel Bible, I would kill for it. But they, they don't really exist because they're by two different distributors. Like these guys believe that thought for thought is the most important thing so much we've got to form our own company about it. And these guys are word for word and structure for structure. And, they, and so they form their own company. And, they, they, and if I can get the two to come to the same version, and I don't need a bunch of other ones. I just want two, okay? Because there's one that has like 17. It's the parallel 17 Bible. It's this big. It's that thick, right? Uh, we could skip that one. But if you find that one for me... Uh, 
I'll give you a big hug, all right? So summing it up, and LT, good for big public things, big church, quoting for people that don't know the Bible well, it's thought for thought. ESV, good for Bible school, deep study, thinking hard, looking at the original context structure, that's good for ESV. So the fortunate thing is, uh, back in the day, Bibles used to cost as much of a, as a house because they had to handwrite every word and they had to handmade and make every page. But right now they cost about as much as a cheeseburger, right? So you can get two. So I just recommend those two. So that's my nerdiness. Okay, now the nerdiness is over. Let's get into the NLT text today in chapter 3, verse 1. Whatever happens, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. You know, today, I don't know if you walked in, there was not a lot of people on stage. Did we rejoice in the Lord anyway? A lot of the bands on vacation are not available this week. We rejoice in the Lord. Amen? <laughs> when Pastor Brian and Carmen are gone, do we oh, cancel the show? We can't rejoice in the Lord without Brian and Carmen. No, we rejoice in the Lord. Last week when, when Stonehaven was closed, some of you came in, you're like, oh, no, and you still rejoiced in the Lord. You rejoice no matter what. Paul is saying this in chains in prison, right? And he's telling a bunch of people to rejoice in the Lord, no matter what happens in the world, in your home, in your family, in your health, rejoice all the time. We're to celebrate no matter what. So that's our first happiness habit today, is to do this. Relax in God's presence every single day. If you've claimed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there is now a river of life flowing through you. Get an inner tube out and float in that river for a while. And just celebrate that you belong to the Lord. That the treasure of heaven is your possession. And it will never leave you. It is yours. Later on in Philippians, in the next chapter, Paul says this in Philippians 4.4. Always be full of joy in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. So he's still saying that, still in the same chains he was. He's a chapter later, and he's, he's doubling and tripling down on this. He's saying, again, I say rejoice I love that he says that it's the safeguard for your faith, right? It's the safeguard. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, I never get tired of telling you these things. I do it to safeguard your faith. When the troubles come and the tragedies come and the defeating news comes, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. And so well done, church. I love, one thing I love about this church is no matter what happens, we rejoice in the Lord. When you wake up in the morning, 
and you, ref- you look in the reflection of the mirror and it scares you, rejoice. You've been made by God. You are precious to him. He's glad to see you up this morning. He's got things for you to do, places for you to go, people for you to see. And the first person he wants you to see is him. Good morning, scary me. Right? When you look at your resume and your career looks like a joke and you feel ashamed to hand it in to apply for another job, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. When, you, when your doctor tells you it's not getting better, it's getting worse, rejoice in the Lord. When things hit the family and it becomes difficult for one of your family members, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. And that is an awesome way to see life. So relax. Chill out, our heaven Our home is heaven. Our Father is God. We are on team Jesus. We will win. We will celebrate. We will take naps one day, every day in heaven, right? Nap time is going to return. It's going to be like preschool all over. You're secure. You're in a wanted relationship. You are wealthy in spiritual riches You are loved, so relax and remind yourself of that. Bob down the joy, the the river of joy and grace and peace flowing through you. Do it every day. Now, after giving us this happy habit, which I think is probably the happy habit, he says, now it's time to take out some trash. This is about to get PG-13, just as a little warning. Uh, there's some stuff going on. If you've got a young one in the, uh, in the audience, you know, this, if you need to cover their ears, you don't want to talk about this after church today, that's okay. But he turns his attention to some people who are saying that the, the people that are becoming Christians, they say, if you really want to please God, if you want to, actually they're saying, if you want to go to heaven, you have to have surgery, just the guys. You have to have surgery. I don't know about you. That doesn't sound very fun. If you want to make God happy, you have to have pee-pee surgery. It says it. Now, that's a tough hurdle to jump over. I can do surgery, but wait a minute. Now, just hold. Like, I'm out. What religion do I have to join to not do that, right? <laughs> amen. Can I get an amen, guys? <laughs> there we go, right? That's a hurdle. Now, these legalistic nincompoops are out there, and they're saying that you've got to have surgery for God to approve of you, that you have to do something for God to really like you, that you have to perform for him. you got to... Do all this stuff, obey the law perfectly in order for God to like you. And that is a lie. Now, it might not be that someone convinced you that you need to have surgery somewhere to make God like you. 
But my, my bet, my thought, is that somebody tried to convince you that you needed to do something to get God to like you. The devil loves to get us to think this way or try to lead us in this direction. The devil will try to make you feel worthless, right? Because of your failed performance. He'll say, um, he'll say it every day, every minute he can to make you feel like slime. You can't make, you can't match up to what God wants you to be. He will accuse you over and over and over and over that you are not good enough, that God is disgusted with you, that he is frustrated with you, and that there is no way that God could love a sinner like you. Religious people will try to convince you of the same thing. They will ask you about your pedigree, where you came from, who your parents are, what they did. And they will ask you about your performance. How were you? How have you been for the last 10 years? Have you been perfect? Have you done all the things that I think you need to do to get God to love you? They'll ask you those things. Pedigree and performance. So, I have something for pedigree and performance. If you have someone trying to tell you that you need to come from the right family or the right stock or the right breed, here it is. Throw it in the trash. Not them, they're God's people. Try to convince them in grace and mercy. But throw that line of thought that you can, you can get some kind of happiness from pedigree. Don't, if you're trying to draw your happiness from who you came from, right? If you think that God likes you because you perform well, it's trash. Get rid of that. Do not count on that to make you happy each morning. It's junk. Let it go. Look what Paul says about his own pedigree and his own performance, his own ability to supposedly be good enough to make God happy. Verse, verse chapter 2, it says, Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. Yikes, he's not nice to those people. Dogs, evildoers, mutilators. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort garbage it's not what makes god love us is not your performance if you look at your pedigree and it's great and you describe you try to pull your happiness or your value or your sense of worth from your pedigree you become full of pride and you become judgmental of other people 
If you look at your pedigree and it's a mess, the family you come from is a disaster filled with broken people, you become filled with shame and you get jealous of others. And so here's what Paul says about his pedigree. Though I could have confidence in my own efforts, though I could have confidence in my own efforts, if anyone could, Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a real Hebrew, if ever there was one. So he's saying he's one of those high pedigrees, right? So he's got what everybody wants in that culture. He's got it. If you want to come from the right people, the right stock, his parents were flawless. They did a flawless job with him. He had the right look, the right family, all the right stuff. Paul says, nope. Next thing he says was his performance. Uh, verses, verse three, chapter 3, 5, and 6. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for, as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Whoa. That is so much work. Over 600 commandments, 600 rules he followed. He followed and followed and followed because he thought, the more I follow the rules and I Stick close to the rules, the more God likes me. And he's about to throw it in the trash. But Paul's performance was the best of the very best. Obedience to the law without fault. If you look at your performance and it's great, what happens? If you're trying to draw your sense of self and your happiness out of your performance and it's a good one, you become filled with pride and you become critical of other people. You feel superior. You become arrogant. And my, goal, my thought is, is you will try to manipulate people. Because you think your performance is excellent. If you look at your performance and it's a gross wreck... You feel shameful and inferior. Frustration and insecurity and worthlessness start to take root in your heart. And you begin to seek to escape. And rather than controlling everyone, you lose control. Right? When you feel worthless, you tend to feel out of control. Like, I can't get any better. I can't do any better. I can't. So what does Paul say to us who have these pedigree problems and these performance problems? First he says, A, rejoice in the Lord only, right? But the second thing is this one, our next happiness habit. He says, remember what matters most. And it isn't pedigree, and it isn't performance. 
So as he mentions his pedigree and his performance, he says this, I once thought these things were so valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I rejoice in the Lord, and I consider everything worthless because I know him. He loves me. I'm invited into his presence. I'm loved by him. When Jesus becomes your Lord and Savior, your pedigree becomes his pedigree. You become God's very own child, a royal ambassador of heaven. The Father of heaven becomes dad. Right? When Jesus becomes your Lord and Savior, your performance becomes the very righteousness of Christ. Your record, cleared. You are invited into the very presence of God. There's this scripture. I changed my sermon this morning a little bit. I went into the bathroom. I looked at the scary man that was looking in me in the mirror there. And my wife had written this scripture, in our, has written this scripture in our bathroom. It says, Hebrews 4.16, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us, help us when we need it most. So I would suggest you run into dad's living room and you climb up on his recliner and you rest in his lap and let him speak his love to you and be there boldly. He is your daddy. Remember that is what matters most. Jesus and what he has done He has bought us a way home. He has restored to us a pedigree we could not have dreamed of. And he's given us a performance we could never have done ourselves. It's what Christ has done for us. Religious people will offer you the trash of their pedigree and their performance. And they will expect from you the pedigree and the performance Don't take their trash home. Don't take it. That's legalism. That's garbage. Throw it away. Don't become proud about what you've done or what you've accomplished for the Lord. Worship him with it. Worship him with it. Now, there are some other things that this world is going to try to get us to become happy with. There's more trash out there, and I... Paul was talking pedigree and performance, but I want to go to what, that's what religious people offer. What does the world offer you that will make you happy, they say? What do they offer you? They claim their trash will make us very happy. And they'll actually go so far as to say, your life is lacking without my trash. 
Is it true? They will try to convince you because they're trying to control you. What is the root of evil? Love of money. Right? And why does this world want things from you? They want to control you or take your money. Right? That's what's going on in the world. They are led by the father of lies, the prince of air, the accuser, the lord of the flies, and he is the king of everything that will be consumed in fire. Do you want what he has to offer? He wants to tempt you so that he can control you. So this offer is, say, give me your treasure, I'll give you my trash. Right? So what's the first thing that Satan offers? And I would say this, pleasures. He's going to just say, hey, trade your trash, your treasure for my trash. I offer you pleasures. And if you don't experience these pleasures, you're not really going to be happy. You see, you're really not happy, are you? And you're like, what? Wait, what? Okay. Sucker. Don't be a sucker. Don't trade your treasure with Christ for the pleasure of this world. And we know what bad, bad pleasures are, right? We know what's naughty and fun still to do. But I think there's also this temptation to draw our pleasures from things that are good. Things like activity, right? Fishing, entertainment, even things as good as family, we can try to draw too much from. I was reading this passage in 2 Corinthians, and Paul's encouraging people not to get married. I'm like, what? You are, I want to say, Paul, you're crazy. God invented marriage. It's, it's a good thing. It's a symbol of how Jesus and the church are supposed to be unified and together. It's good. And Paul's like, yeah, I prefer you not get married. I'm like, this is crazy talk. Why is this even in the Bible? I want to take that section out and burn it. Right? But it's true. He says, I want you to be free from distractions that that might cause you to love this world more than what is to come. I want you to be free from the distractions like that. Now, I'm not saying go and get a divorce. Or I'm not saying make a declaration of singleness forever. Do you know, I did that. I was the, in college, I called us bachelors to the rapture. <laughs> and then I met Valerie, right? Yeah. <laughs> 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 Woo! <-hoo! laughs> That stuff is really good, but if it takes the if you're trying to draw all your happiness from the perfect marriage and instead of the perfect Savior, that's a problem. You need to look carefully at it. So, so perfect marriage or making, being the perfect parent. Uh, good luck. <laughs> they will drive you to the limits of your sanity. They will cause you to sin in ways you didn't know you could sin. Right? Uh, 
But don't draw your pleasure from how good a parent you are, because that's performance still. And don't draw pleasure from that. That is not the source of pleasure in your life. That is your source of worship. That is how you praise the Father, by the way you love your spouse, by the way you love your children, by the way you love your neighbors. Next thing, next thing, that was pleasures. Where's my garbage? Right behind me. Throw those in the trash. The next thing, possessions. Now, possessions are the same way. They can, like pleasures, there can be good pleasures and bad pleasures. Naughty and nice. There can be good possessions and bad possessions. But don't ever think that your possessions are going to make you happy. Don't buy that lie. Don't trade your treasure for that kind of trash. Things of this world like a good home, nice clothes, 200 pairs of shoes, the world's greatest power tool, the greenest lawn, the greatest garden, the best food, the nicest skills in the kitchen, right? No. Don't think that that's where you get your happiness from. Where's your happy room in your house? Oh, who said prayer room? Cheater. <laughs> that's where you meet your Savior. I know, you win. All right. Totally ruined my thunder there. Any room that's not the prayer room, the prayer place in your house, if you're drawn, if that's where you go to be happy, you better check that out. Have I traded trash for treasure here? Watch out. Take a careful assessment of your life and say, what am I drawing, trying to extract happiness from? Trash item number five, prestige. Now that's a big English word, right? Prestige, otherwise known as the praise of other people. Right? The Hollywood hype. The Wall Street worship. The Olympic ovation. The pastoral praise. Those awards, those positions, those accolades and esteems and wows are trash compared to the priceless knowledge of knowing Christ, right? Don't buy it. Here's a scary scripture. 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Let me take a pause. This is a little bit of a longer one. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world only offers a craving for physical pleasure. Now, I could preach this verse for like an hour. But it does offer, what it offers is craving for physical pleasure. A craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away. If you try to bring the world's values and its desires into your being and draw your happiness from this garbage, it fades quickly. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It just disappears. I just bought a new car. It's fading. My children are trashing it. 
I had three requirements for this great new car that I bought. High gas mileage, low cost, and good reliability. I think that, I thought, yeah, that's good. I bought a Kia Nero, and it gets 52 miles per gallon. <laughs> Buying from a car dealership was one of a, a, was a disgusting experience. <laughs> I feel like they trick ignorant people out of money all the time. And I feel like I just barely escaped walking out of there. Right? Anybody else just feel that same way? Trying to buy a new car, it's like, ugh. I need a shower. <laughs> you know, it can be such a bad experience. I walked into and out of three dealerships, right? I listened to uh, some tapes and some wisdom about buying cars, and you always have to walk out. My dad, my dad's right here. Did you walk out? You have to walk away. Get to the door. Put your handle on the door. Start pulling. Wait for it, wait for it. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, you want to talk now? It's so slimy. Isn't it? Ugh. Everyone should memorize the scripture I just quoted. I know it's a long one, but it takes time to think that through before you walk into a car dealership. Do not love the things of this world or what it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. It offers a craving. It says craving, craving, pride, and fading. That's what it's offering. So a car will be craving, craving, pride, and failing. Fading and failing. <laughs> It'll eventually fail. Right? While preparing this week, I think it was Thursday, uh, my dealership sent me a survey about the vehicle that I had purchased. And for some dumb reason, I started filling out a survey for a chance at winning $2,500. I'm like, why am I doing this? I could be, and it was like 95 questions. And yet I somehow felt compelled to fill out this survey. And sometimes God has you do things, prepare you to preach. Right? And you don't even know why, like, why am I doing this? I hate this. Keep going. I don't want to, you know. I feel slimed again. Right? It's terrible. But here I was filling it out. It asked me if I bought the car based on the feelings of power and acceleration. <laughs> yeah, 52 miles per gallon does not get up and go. All right? It asked me if I bought the car because it was a luxury vehicle that allowed me to travel in comfort and ease. Yeah, my not-so-leather seats, right? <laughs> it asked me if I bought it because I thought I deserved it for all my hard work and success. And I'm like, I'm executive pastor, and I love my job. I feel privileged to be there. I feel like they should, I should pay to do this. But I need to eat. Right? I love this. It's not really that hard of work. It's like I love going into work every day. Right? It asked me if I bought it because I wanted this car 
to be seen by others as a symbol of my success. He actually asked me if it was prestige. So they asked me if it was pleasure or because it represented my possessions or because I wanted to possess it, right? Or because I wanted the prestige of owning it. I was like, you just preached my sermon survey. <laughs> he was using the same words. I was like, Lord, you are a genius. <laughs> Thank you. I had no good illustrations this week. You're awesome. You're the treasure of heaven. Right? He gives you what you need. And it was like, wow, this nailed it. It did an this survey did an amazing job of how this car sales industry is trying to get us to lust for physical pleasure, to have pride in our possessions, and to treasure the prestige of owning a status symbol. It's all garbage. Watch yourself. But don't just watch yourself when you're buying a car. Watch it when you're going to a sporting event. Watch it when you're shopping for shoes. Picking up school supplies. Watch it if it's developing in your children and if they need one brand or over another. Sit down and talk. Be like, why do we need this? Talk it through. Watch yourselves. See how you might be trading treasure for trash. Oh, if I get you this name brand, will you be happy now? Right? If I get you this cool item, will you be happy now? If you look this way or have this body shape, will you be happy then? Right? This is not our source of happiness. This world and all that it offers us is going to burn up. It's not worth getting excited about. Paul says it best. Philippians 3, 8 and 9. Yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ. What do you want? This or this? Right? Throw this stuff out. Leave it in the trash. Don't go digging in dumpsters in your life. You already have the best of the best. You have the priceless possession of heaven. I count it all as garbage. It actually uses the word manure. If you don't know what manure is, it says the word poop. I count it all poop so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. We have to consider the following as trash. Our pedigree, our performance, the pleasures of this world, the possessions of this world, and the prestige of this world. The, the world and those legalistic religious people use these things as bait, saying they'll make you happy. They won't. They are trash. The last point today is this. Paul closes kind of this discussion with, a, with a, uh, a, a point about Christ. And so 
today, the last point is, you know, first one, um, get rid of, you know, is to, what is the first one is, rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Remember what's most valuable and precious. And the last thing to do every day is experience Christ. Experience Christ. Philippians 3, 10 to 11 says this, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I don't need a fast car. I need resurrection power, right? But it says this, I want to suffer with him. I want to share in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Be careful. Following Christ does not always mean easy. It does not always mean possessions and pleasure and prestige and power and, and performance, right? And, and pedigree. Following Christ is not the Harvard of schools. It's the community college, right? It's not the prestige. and It's like coming in and learning humbly, right? And learning what you need. It's coming to him and getting what you need to live a resurrected life, a life that was headed for death and now is headed for life. Amen? Amen. When you're raising your kids, uh, sometimes bad stuff happens to our kids right? And they suffer. And we try and protect them from that. But you got to remember that sometimes you experience Christ. Well, I should say most times you experience Christ through suffering. That this bad thing that might be happening to your children might be the very thing that causes them to experience Jesus more. And it may be the greatest gift that they have ever it might bring them closer to Jesus. And that's the priceless gift of heaven. And so don't worry. Don't be afraid. He's got us. He's holding us. He's keeping us close. And sometimes suffering is involved. And we believe for great things that God is going to bring us to great things. And, and I believe there are good things. So if you have good things in your life, just don't draw happiness. Use them to praise Always rejoice, praising God. When he gives you something good, praise God. And when he takes it away, praise God. And when he gives you a good time and a pleasurable thing that's right and good, praise God. And when he takes it away, praise God. Just praise him all times. Again, I say rejoice. Would you stand with me as we close? Lord Jesus, Help us to take out the trash today. God, I just ask that every person in this room, if you have some garbage that you've been counting on for happiness, would you just grab it in your heart and pull it out and take a look at it? Hold it in front of you and say, God, I don't want this anymore. And drop it in the trash. Pretend like this trash can is right in front of you and just hold it out and let it go. And then reach up and grab the hand of Jesus. Say, Lord, 
I want you. I praise you. You are everything that I ever could want. And I'm grateful for you. Above all things, Jesus, I love you. I love you. I love you. I praise you. I praise you. I praise you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for redeeming me. Thank you, thank you for putting me in a high place, on a stable foundation, on the rock of Jesus Christ. Thank you that my performance is null and void and I get to receive the performance of Jesus and the prestige of Jesus, the glory of Christ. Thank you for all that you've given me, all the treasures of heaven. I am full and I am complete through my union with Christ who's the head of all things. I'm the family of the king now. I belong to the citizenship of heaven and the family of God. Thank you for this wonderful, wonderful life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Church, I, I bless you with that message. I hope I hope it sets you free and reminds you of what's so important your life, in your life. I hope you remember how wealthy you are despite what your checkbook might say or your retirement accounts might say. I hope you remember that you are a treasured, precious member of the kingdom regardless of what suffering you might have to go through this week. Endure. Rise up in praise again and again. Amen. Will you try? Will you go in the power of the Holy Spirit and do? Amen. You are released. Amen. If you need, um, if you need some prayer today and there's some garbage you're having trouble letting go of, prayer team is waiting for you up here. Amen.